Welcome to Podcast Therapist, presented by Virginia Family Therapy. I'm Sarah. I'm Caroline. And I'm Amanda. As three family therapists, we know how hard it is to feel like you're being the parent you want to be while juggling everyone's needs. We specialize in helping families just like you during the long days of multitasking and constant searching for the bar of success. Our podcast mixes expertise, real life advice, and embarrassing stories. Whose embarrassing story? Let's walk through this together. Welcome to Podcast Therapist, everyone. Hi, Caroline. Hey, Amanda. You all, we are here without Sarah today because the snow in Virginia has got, has really messed with our schedules. (laughs) This, yeah, I'm kind of done with the snow for right now, and I'm scared because it's mid-January when we're recording this and we don't usually even get snow until at least February. (laughs) I feel like my kids have literally been in school five days out of the last 30 or something. It is wild. That's crazy. So if you hear them screaming, it's because I'm fully ignoring them while I talk to Caroline, which is (laughs) significantly more fun for me. It's so true. Yeah. We're making it though. We sure are. So Ashley is not here today because, and we said we were going to have her this week, but because again, the snow foiled all of our plans, but Caroline and I are coming to you to continue talking about eating disorders and disordered eating. And so Caroline, what are we talking about today? So today we're going to try to give you all an idea of what we are seeing in terms of sort of the warning signs that an eating disorder or some kind of disordered eating might be creeping in. So this is not, we're not saying if you see this thing, you or your child definitely has an eating disorder. We're saying, Hey, here are some symptoms or some signs that something could be going on. And maybe you want to sort of observe and think about, do I need to take a next step? And we'll talk about what those next steps are at the end of the podcast. And we're going to start with just an overall review. And I want to put a caveat in here in that I think a lot of these behaviors are kind of experimented with in a lot of teenagers, a lot of kids, young adults, and adults. I think because, as we've talked about, the culture is toxic um, and there's such a dieting culture around us, I think that playing around with this stuff is actually really celebrated. And so if you're confused, it's because a lot of people are. Yes. I think it's confusing. It's overwhelming. And I think what I want to make sure we think about as we start going through some of the signs and symptoms is you would need a cluster of these things for it to be disordered eating, right? So if we talk about something and it's just one thing, you've noticed this one thing, it may not be anything. Um, But if you're noticing a couple things, right, that might be something more to keep your eye on. Um, And I think what's hard too is what we don't know is if someone has an eating disorder brain or not, right? So sometimes you can just be experimenting with these behaviors or with these things and kind of like kick that brain on, which is hard, right? So particularly, I think with like adolescents, there can be experimentation 
that sort of unintentionally goes too far. And then we're in this like different area of disordered eating. So is what guys, Caroline is the eating disorder expert here. I don't know that I'm an expert. I don't have any additional certifications. <laughs> right. But you know way more than me in all honesty, and because you work with a ton of kids who are struggling in this area. Right. But I think what I'm hearing you say is that there is this there is this natural time of experimentation, which I think we can't avoid necessarily all the time for kids growing up in America. But at some point, that experimentation can kick you into the next level, which you're calling an eating disorder brain, which then is really hard to get out of. Yes. So like, for example, like you may have a child who's just like a picky eater, right? Like sometimes kids are picky eaters. If they start getting more and more and more picky in their eating and they're a kid who's always been slightly underweight and suddenly they're starting to sort of skip meals it may just be sort of playing with fire right like hey they've always been picky they've always been a little bit on the underweight side but now they're experimenting with like not eating regularly or they have a really weird schedule with like some kind of after school thing. And suddenly like we've just created an environment to like turn that brain on. And so what we're trying to do is it's really a lot easier to intervene in disordered eating and eating disorders before that brain turns on or early on. Yep. Absolutely early on. And so we're trying to give you some warning signs and symptoms so that you know when to maybe go to the next level so that you can recognize it so it doesn't get so far down the road that it's harder to work with. So let's talk about them. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it, Caroline. Let's talk about the, you know, the general behaviors that you might see with someone who is struggling with an eating disorder. So I think. And one thing I want to comment on is like these behaviors would be a change from the baseline, right? So we're talking about a change in behavior typically. Like if all of a sudden your teen is kind of talking all the time about food or calories or how much they weigh or how much they're exercising and how many calories they're burning, right? If it starts to sound like, wow, my kid is spending a lot of their time or all of their time thinking about their body and what they're eating and how much they're eating and how much they're working out, that's something to keep an eye on. So my son got a Fitbit for Christmas and I would Mm -hmm. say the first four days he was like, especially because it snowed one of those days, he was essentially like, I did 25,000 steps. And he really like did a lot of talking about it and he was excited about it. And now he's put it down and of course lost it and forgotten about it. And actually he didn't get a Fitbit. He got a watch and then traded it with my husband for the Fitbit, which is fine. (laughs) But the fact that he was able to put it down and has forgotten to recharge it is a pretty good sign. If he would have kept that initial kind of obsession with how many steps he had taken and how many calories and all of that stuff, I would have gotten worried about it. But since he is only 10, he's and not super responsible, he's since lost it. So I'm not so worried. Yeah. And I think that this is actually a good conversation about like how some of these like fitness tracking devices can 
cannot be helpful if they're used in the wrong way, right? So let's say you have your child has a Fitbit and they don't get their steps one day or they don't close all their rings. If they have like a huge reaction to that, right? In addition to other things. But like, if you're like, whoa, my child like cannot handle that they didn't meet the goal of their steps or something, that might be something to notice, right? Like if they are like, the day is ruined, I have failed because I didn't get my oh. steps. I mean, I, I yeah. will say I feel that way. Not really, but I, I feel that way as an adult sometimes because I have my goals that I set. But when I, a healthy way to manage it is to maybe feel disappointed and be able to move on. It's the difficulty moving right. on that can make you, that, that you should be aware of. The idea that it's ruined their day or they're worthless because they didn't meet their goals. And I think the other thing is that a lot of these like fitness trackers keep increasing your goal, right? So if you meet your goal, the next week, it'll say like, take more steps or move your body more, right? So it's also like watching what a realistic goal would be and keeping it at that. So it's not getting so competitive that you're setting a really unrealistic goal. I didn't even know that they did that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another common symptom that can also be sometimes healthy is a refusal for a kid to eat a certain food or a certain food group or completely in eliminating something from their diet. For instance, we might see people who are like, I'm absolutely not eating processed foods anymore, or I've cut sugar out 100% or carbs 100% out of their diet. And the idea of eating that food becomes highly distressing. Right? So there's also that level of like distress of I'm cutting this food group out and like I will under no circumstances eat it. So I think this is another good point is just like the rigidity that you might start seeing, right? So like we really want people to be like flexible around meals and food and timing, right? So for example, sometimes, you know, sometimes our plans change and maybe we were planning on cooking dinner at home and it was going to be something and then it snows. And so we're getting takeout pizza, right? And if your child's like, well, I already ate a sandwich for lunch and that was the bread I was going to eat today. And it's like, they can't fathom eating pizza that would be something to notice. Or if they're missing social situations because of the food that is provided there. For instance, if they mm -hmm. don't want to go to a sleepover because they're worried that there's going to be pizza there, or they don't want to go to a school barbecue because they don't eat meat and they're not okay with the other things that would be provided in addition to that. So it's really kind of not putting yourself in situations where you may be tempted to eat something that's not on your list or refusing to go to those things because you don't want to be around the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your, your world starts to get smaller and smaller. If you have an eating disorder, a lot of your time and your energy and your thoughts and your feelings are going to be around either food or body or intake or weight to the detriment of the other things that you're normally doing. So 
yeah, I'm not hanging out with my friends because that presents an issue with some rigid part of my plan. Or I'm not going to travel because I can't control what kind of foods would be there. I like what you're saying about your wor- the world becoming smaller because it is the rigidity and the difficulty stepping out of a very regimented controlled pattern that that the kid or the or the adult is using to cope with with the world. And so stepping out of those coping mechanisms of controlling their food really increases anxiety and really increases their difficulty managing their emotions. That was a complicated thing I just said, but if you want to rewind that and try to understand it, cause I was <laughs> really going off. Well, I think what we're saying is there's a connection or what you're trying to say is like the connection between the emotion and the behavior. Yeah. I'm essentially saying that kids are using controlling their food to manage their emotions. And when they're not able to control their food, then their emotions are getting out of control. Yes. That was simple. And not, and not just kids. Like I think teenagers and adults as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is part of what we saw towards the beginning of the pandemic. Guys, we saw like a really significant uptick in eating disorders, particularly in anorexia and the populations that we work with in teenage girls who were yanked out of school. And part of it was like, they, there was this sense of like, nothing in my life is certain. I don't have anything I can control. And we saw it in young adults that are typically like very driven and dedicated and high achieving. And they usually have outlets to like put those things towards, right? So they have academics or they have extracurriculars, whether that's like arts or sports, right? But they have these things that like they can use as a measure of like, I am doing well. And then we took all those away and we saw a lot of girls internalize that and it kicked eating disorders into like a high gear and they got acute much more quickly than we're used to, I think because of the environment. And because they, I think another piece is they were spending way more time on Instagram looking at other bodies and there were no coaches kind of helping them keep it in check. And so I think we saw lots of kids who had hours of extra time and they would devote that to exercising or running. I mean, Mm -hmm. we would have clients that were running a half a marathon a day many Mm -hmm. times a week because there was also nothing else to do. Right. And that's the thing, right? It was like well-intentioned as this is a way I'm going to cope with Mm -hmm. this situation. It just snowballed, right? Like, Hey, moving my body as a way to manage my emotions and take some time out of my day during a pandemic. Great. Right. But like when it gets to an intensity level, that's too much or that's unsustainable, right? It starts to sort of cross that line into disordered. And if there are other ramifications to, to what's to their difficulties with eating and or exercising. So another symptom would be if their social life is beginning to suffer, if their physical health is beginning to suffer. So For instance, there are probably some people, I don't know, Shalane Flanagan might be running half a marathon a day. I don't know, but her body is probably built up to that in a really healthy way. And if you are 
potentially a teenage girl who hasn't trained in the way that she has, and you are hurting your hip or hurting your foot and continuing to run through it because you feel like you need that to achieve. That's another Mm -hmm. symptom is frequent injury because you haven't built up to this level of intensity. Yeah. And that like Shalane Flanagan, that level of athlete has a whole team keeping her brain and body as healthy as they can. She has a whole team of experts around her saying like, actually, you need more recovery. Actually, this is where we need to do what we need to do with your diet. Like actually today you're just stretching, right? Like there's a whole support network of people around an elite athlete. Like I also think of Tom Brady, right? Like they're trying to like keep these people elite, but like for most of us, regular people, we don't have those kinds of supports. And so getting to that intense level, like we're not getting the feedback that we need to sustain that. Because I think what's happening is people are just going to Instagram and using that as their team and being like, Mm -hmm. oh, I need to run this much this day. And then going on the next day and seeing someone else working out and being like, and now I need to run this much this day without looking holistically. It's really just that immediate feedback around what do you see in that moment that is driving the behavior. Mm -hmm. What are some other emotional and behavioral symptoms of an eating disorder? I think if you see some really significant outbursts around the things that we've been talking about, right? Around going to see friends because it wasn't scheduled and that doesn't work, around a change in a meal, around not getting to exercise one day. If you start seeing like huge outbursts that you're not used to seeing, that can be indicative because what you're really running into is that sort of disordered brain. Mm -hmm. And you're all of a sudden like, whoa, right? Like my kid who's typically really easygoing cannot fathom and cannot handle this change in what's for dinner. And I think another symptom would be continuously talking about what their body looks like and continuously thinking Mm -hmm. about what their body looks like. So we're talking a lot about food, but the other part of this can be really focusing physically on what what you look like. So Mm -hmm. maybe spending a really long time in front of the mirror every day. Some of this is normal, Mm -hmm. right? Some of it is normal. If you are the kind of kid who cares about what you look like, which I could probably take a few (laughs) minutes and take a shower every now and then. But, you know, some of it's normal, but if it's really pathological, like melting down around the way a pair of pants look or not being able to leave the house because your clothes don't fit right. And it might be like around a really particular body part or part of your body. Mm -hmm. So sort of like checking on one specific body part or being hyper aware of some body sensation, right? Like if, you know, sometimes we get bloated, right? Like just for whatever reason, like our bodies get bloated. And if you notice like, okay, if that happens, you know, my kid cannot cope and thinks that their body has permanently changed 
and like will not leave the house because they're embarrassed to go out. Oh, I'm like sweet kids. I know. I'm like bloating is uncomfortable, right? Or like being gassy, right? Like these (laughs) things don't feel good. But a lot of times the people around us actually don't notice. But if I've magnified it in my brain to be like this slight change is so noticeable and sort of this idea that it's like permanent, right? Like I can't conceptualize that like, hey, my body might be bloated today and sort of not not as bloated tomorrow. But and yesterday, I wasn't as bloated as today. So what are some other physical manifestations of an eating disorder? We've talked about the emotional signs and symptoms, but I think physically there can be a noticeable fluctuation in weight, both up and down. There also may not be a fluctuation in weight. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's real complicated, you all, because someone can have an eating disorder and be gaining weight, which is confusing. Mm -hmm. And any body, any body type can have disordered eating. Oh, right. Right. Yep. It doesn't, there's no body type that is like immune from an eating disorder. One of the things that I see is kids whose physicians have said, Hey, you probably should focus on eating healthier and maybe losing some weight, right? This is something that physicians certainly say in some instances, especially because there's also the other part. There's also a group of kids and adults who gained weight through the pandemic. The constant access to food and being in our houses and being sedentary has actually also increased the obesity around the country. And so what I might see are people come into my office and say they are trying to lose weight per their physician's orders, and they are actually restricting so much, and they're trying to lose weight so quickly that I'm very worried they're going to kick in to that eating disorder brain. So while it might be like, wow, great, good for them, they want to take care of their body now, there's also a lot of risk in that because they can go too far if it's not monitored and checked in on and talked about and communicated about. Yeah. And I think that this goes back to the culture, this idea that like, we want things to be like instant, right? Like if I'm going to do this, I want to do it now. And I want to do it like intensely so that I like do it and I'm done and I'm on to the next thing. And I just, instead of sort of extending our bodies more grace and compassion, we Yeah. I mean, I think we're a little bit like all or nothing as a culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there is, you can, it can start with quote unquote dieting or what, or a body that maybe it is healthy to decrease, to decrease their fat. I don't, I don't know how you, how would you say that? Like their fat percentage? What would you say, Caroline? Guys, the research on this is actually really hard because what we're learning is that like body weight is not necessarily indicative of overall health. And like, if you look into the history of like BMI and the definition of obesity, it's all like pretty antiquated and we like create terms for medical professionals just so that there can be a category. And it's like, it's so hard. I know that I have heard that like around puberty and in adolescence, 
you're actually not quote unquote supposed to lose weight. I don't know. Like I'm not the expert on that. I feel like that is a more medical opinion than I can give. But what I have learned is that like, it's a red flag for me. If I have clients that are coming in talking about losing significant amounts of weight, again, no matter what their bodies look like. And this is for adolescents. That makes sense. Okay. So other physical signs and symptoms, any, a really common one is a menstrual irregularity. That to me is, Mm -hmm. is a pretty much like, okay, let's go to the doctor pretty quickly because especially if you have a a girl or even a boy who's had their period very regularly and all of a sudden stops having their period, that can be an indication that they have reduced their calories so much that their body doesn't think it could support having a baby. Yep. And one thing that's really difficult with this is older teenagers and young adults, a lot of um, people who menstruate are taking oral contraceptives, right? So what can be tough is that you can still get your period while you're taking the birth control pill. And we don't actually know if otherwise you would be getting your period or not. Didn't know that. That makes sense to me. So guys, this is where we're trying to say it is so complex. Like it's a, it's a really hard thing because we're like, here's a sign. And then I'm like, and actually, like, you know, it, it's just hard, but I also think it's helpful to sort of be aware of it so that, Hey, if my 13 year old who's not on birth control, right. Starts missing their period, right. That's something for me to note. Or, you know, I still, I don't want to make it seem like, I think this is still a really important conversation is what I'm trying to say. And if it feels complicated or overwhelming, I understand that because that's part of how this conversation is. Mm -hmm. Some other indicators might be kids, especially for anorexia, kids who are dressing in layers to hide their weight loss or to stay warm. Yeah. I also think if your kid starts having tons of sort of GI complaints, like my stomach hurts or I'm constipated or I'm having stomach pain or I don't want to eat because I'm worried I'm going to get a stomach ache that are sort of generalized stomach GI complaints. Mm -hmm. And as far as bulimia, you know, bulimia is purging. And so if you see signs or symptoms that your kid is going to the bathroom frequently after a meal, or you can see signs or smells of vomit around your house, or, you know, wrappers or packages of laxatives, that's another Mm -hmm. indication that your kid might, might have developed difficulties with eating and purging. Mm-hmm. I think there's also research that there's been a huge increase in binge eating disorder. And it's really hard, I think, with teenagers, especially adolescent teenagers who are, who are sorry, adolescent athlete teenagers who maybe exercise a lot and then they come home and they eat what can look like a ton of food. And it's hard to tell what is just replenishing and healthy eating and what kind of gets you into the binge category. 
I think with binge eating, we usually hear about how out of control it feels. Like I can't stop. Like I'm, my body's full. I'm uncomfortably full. I can't stop. Um, And then there's often also, I mean, this is with binge eating and some of the other eating disorders, right? There's like a feeling of shame or guilt Mm -hmm. after I binge. So I think if you're hearing whether you feel like your child's eating like an uncommonly large amount of food or they're eating just a little bit and then they're like, I feel gross. I feel guilty. I shouldn't have eaten that. That's bad right? That, that kind of like talking about what it means to be eating can be an indicator. And if your kids or you are hiding when you're eating and you find evidence of, uh, of eating a lot that you didn't know that your kids were doing, like, by the way, I found my son's whole bag of Halloween candy tucked underneath like his bathroom because he hides it from my husband and I, because we will always eat it. Right. So it's more like he's Mm -hmm. protecting his stash because he knows that Robert and I will like find all the butterfingers and, and take them from him. But if you are frequently, not just around Halloween time, kind of finding candy wrappers or cracker wrappers or anything like that, where they're hidden from you, that's another indication. But I think, Mm -hmm. I think that's something, again, it's not something that you, that happens like once it's it's happening for for an extended period of time or you've seen it multiple times. Yeah, I mean I think if something happens once it's kind of like an outlier behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If something becomes a pattern then it can be more di- like concerning, right? It's and it's the same with other kinds of mental illness, right? If your child stays in bed all day and says they don't want to get up. They don't want to see their friends for one day. That's different than having that be like a chronic symptom. Mm-hmm. Here I'm talking about a child who's depressed. Right. But so I think it's like, it's hard because we want to like be aware and notice things, but we also don't need to be like, oh my gosh, I'm acting on everything the second I see it. It's sort of like this ebb and flow of like, okay, this happened one time. I'm going to bookmark it in my brain. If I start seeing it every day or just more often, okay, now I'm, now I can take a next step. Because I think, you know, now we can move on to what, what do you do if you have noticed this cluster or any other cluster of behaviors? And I think one thing would be to just observe for a little period of time. I liked what you were saying about bookmarking it. As a parent, I feel the desire to comment on every single thing that my children put in their mouth. I I mean, that's just being honest. I don't know if it's quite that bad, but I do think as a parent, we feel like we can comment on what our kids are eating and what their bodies look like. And actually, we shouldn't be doing that. So I would say, observe, don't say anything for about two weeks. See how long this pattern is going, see if it was a like a one-off or see if it's a behavior that they are persisting with. Mm-hmm. Then I would try to talk to them about it, right? Just see how does the kid respond when you talk to them directly about the behavior that you're noticing. So 
say you're finding candy wrappers and you've found, you know, it's been two weeks, you've noticed candy wrappers like hidden in your kid's pillowcase every night for a week. You might say something like, hey, you know, and not around food time, guys, this is not when you would have this conversation at all. You would say something like, hey, I've noticed that you you have candy wrappers in your pillowcase. You know, I'm wondering if you want to talk about that. You know, you're not asking a question. You're not judging. You're not saying anything. You're just kind of introducing something. Would you say it like that, Caroline? Yeah. And I think if you're finding candy wrappers, like kind of take it away from, you know, if there's a rule around when you can have candy in your home, like take it away from that, right? This isn't about breaking a rule. This is about, hey, I'm noticing this thing is happening. Can we talk about it? I'm curious. And you're opening the door. Yep. There is zero judgment in what you're saying, at least because here's the thing is if you're saying zero judgment in in a way that has zero judgment and your kid is taking it as really judgmental, that's a lot of good data for you. So say you say something very warmly, very calmly, like, Hey, I've noticed this about, you know, the candy wrappers. Do you want to talk about it? And your kid flies off the hook. Like, why do you care about these candy wrappers? I don't care. Like you tell me that I can't eat. And they start screaming at you. That's letting you know that there actually may be some more to it than you thought. Yeah, that's going back to sort of those outbursts that we were talking about as a sign or symptom, right? If you say, I'm curious, I noticed you're coming home from school with like a lot of lunch left in your lunch bag, right? If your kid loses it over that, right? And you're like, whoa, I was just asking a question. Like that's data. That's information for you to have that like, oh, I'm running, I'm running into something. Mm-hmm. Because the other option would be like, like I said, with my son, yeah, I was hiding the Halloween candy because I didn't want you to eat all the Butterfingers, right? Like, yeah, or they straight up, you know, or they start crying and they're like, I've been working on this history project every day at lunch and like, oh, right. You know, there are other explanations for some of these things. And, and so being open to hearing those, but if they kind of get really moody and pretty explosive in that moment, that's giving you the information that it might be worth taking the next step. And so to us, the next step might be calling a therapist to just talk about it, going to your pediatrician to talk about it, calling a school counselor. Um, But I, I think that if you have noticed the behavior and when you try to talk about it, you get a pretty big reaction, then I think it's time to probably just check in with a professional because again, it's easier to intervene earlier in the stages than it is later in the stages when we're talking about disordered eating. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm like, go explore the supports that you need, right? If you get an answer from someone and you're like, I just don't know, then like there's no harm in a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause it is confusing. It's part of, part of an eating disorder is that it's kind of, it's hidden, right? And kid mm-hmm. and people pretty frequently don't want help with it. So they might hide it. So if someone's telling you one thing and your gut is telling you something different, feel free to get a second opinion. If two people are saying something, weigh that more heavily. But at that point, you're well beyond this podcast. So 
So <laughs> don't worry about us. Exactly. Okay, you all. Thank you so much for listening. We hope this is helpful. We'll be back next week with Ashley to talk to us about how to reset our homes with intuitive eating. But we're going to continue with this. We hope you find it helpful. And please email us if you have any questions that you want us to answer. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. Bye, y'all.